0: Welcome to Bellwether. Thank you for being here yet again today. I'm very happy that you have joined us uh, because there are us this time. I have a guest, which is always a, a, a very special thing for us here at Bellwether Hub. We always get the best guests. We bring you the greatest people on the planet uh, for what it is that you want to learn and what you want to know about. And, and this week, what we're going to be talking about, we're talking about money. We're talking about the big money question. And there are so many aspects about money that we can talk about. And if you know me, you know, my background in, in the financial industry, uh, I left the financial industry. Um, I don't really talk much about money and managing money on this show um, because I'm not a financial advisor, but I do have strong opinions about it. Um, but but I, the more I talk to people and the more I tell them, you know, or, or talk to them about what they want to hear about on the show, a lot of them say, you know, do more about money. And so it's coming in the book. There's going to be a section on money in the book, but um, I want to bring in experts who know what they're talking about, especially as we're navigating change, because that's what ultimately bellwether is about how to navigate and and adapt to change and be a leader amongst change Uh, and taking a look at what's going on in society right now, what's going on in the economy right now, what's around the corner in the economy, which we can't predict how you manage your money. Uh, whether it's from a financial independence standpoint, whether it's from an investing standpoint, whether it's from a savings standpoint, uh, we really need to be cognizant of, of what our situation is and, and where we're going to go. And that's why I'm so excited to have Tom Rizzo with us this week. Tom, uh, we've talked a few times before today, uh, Tom gets it and he gets it in the way that I like to get it, um, which is great. So I'm not going to tell his story. He's got a very interesting story and a unique story. Uh, but he is uh, a person who who saw an opportunity um, to to basically figure everything out and he figured he 's got everything solved he 's figured everything out so with that, I would like to welcome to Bellwether Hub Tom Rezzo Tom. Thank you so much for being here
1: Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the kind words uh, i 'm not sure um, along the journey that I took to figure this out, I ever felt like I was going to figure it out but, um, uh, uh, I appreciate your observation that uh, that maybe I'm there. Uh, I I came at this from a, um, a a spot that is somewhat different than the way most people come at this. And I, what I'm talking about is is uh, that I've created a wealth management firm and an investment advisory firm uh, based in Los Angeles that serves primarily studio musicians, composers, conductors, and uh, freelance people in the um, Silicon Valley area. Those are our places. So how does a guy get to this spot? Well, I began my journey 30 something years ago uh, as a jazz guitar player and as a composer and uh, moved to Los Angeles and I got very lucky. I got a, a break early on uh, and I got on the Tonight Show Band when uh, Doc Severinsen had the band. and. Um, this was for me coming a kid from a small town moving to the big city getting to do something like that was um, that was a big deal for me uh it it turned out that once i immersed myself in the business to realize maybe it wasn't as big a deal as i thought it was at the time but <laughs> i sure thought it was. A big i deal.
0: think it's a big deal i think it's <laughs> a big deal it's fantastic
1: well good well thank you well so did i at the time and uh I married a a wonderful woman who is also a musician. She's a violinist, very prominent musician here in Los Angeles. And so we started our lives together 30-ish years ago, uh, two people, neither of which has a job. We're freelancing and we're in music. And this scared the daylights out of me, the fact that this could evaporate at any moment. Um, We could get squeezed out of the business because of just the vagarities of the way the business is structured or politics or who knows what. So as we were at the very beginning stages and we were able to accumulate a a small amount of money, it became evident to me that I was going to have to learn how to invest this money in the absolute best possible way, that it was in our best interest to do this, not because it would be nice to do or that it, it might benefit us, but we might really need this in order to survive or I'm going to have to leave the music business. And I didn't want to do that. So very early on, I was curious and I went to see, you know, a few guys that professional advisors. And I came away from those meetings less than satisfied that they understood how our business worked, the fact that we don't have jobs and yet we still were able to make a professional living, that we couldn't predict where we're going to be Next year or two years, we couldn't even predict where we we're going to be next week. And I came away from um, the meetings with those guys saying, you know, if they don't understand how our business works, the business model, how are they going to be able to advise me properly in terms of how we should invest and how to take risk and what we should do, shouldn't do? And so I came away from that saying, well, you know, I'm a smart guy. I was, I was a, a math major in college for a little while. Got a good head for numbers. Let me see if I can start to figure this out. And I spent, I'd say 20 to 30 hours a week. It it became my hobby. Some guys play golf. I studied investment philosophy.
0: You played music and studied numbers. There you go. There
1: you go. Now, you know, I got it as an aside. Two of my kids are in their early 20s and they're in the tech business up in uh, uh, San Francisco. They're both product managers up there. And they go, you know, dad, everybody we run into says, you know, I'm in finance and I'm doing really good. But what I really want to do is play guitar. And dad, you're a guy saying, well, I play guitar. But what I really want to do is do finance. So something is is wiring is crossed in my head, but that's just kind of it works. So I studied very assiduously and, and I had no background in finance. Uh, no background in business really. I, I had run a small business when I first got out of college and I learned how accounting works and you're watching money and understanding that I needed to save money, but I didn't know anything about investing. And so um, I worked at it really hard and followed different guys and um, was able to come across uh, a few different people, um, most notably Dr. Harry Markowitz, who established Modern Portfolio Theory back in 1952. Um, and I was really taken with his approach to this thing, which was, is there a statistical way we can prove what's likely to happen over the long term? And what are the factors that actually influence the growth of the success of a portfolio? And uh, I really liked what I found there. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a long winded um, explanation, but in shortest terms, it's, it's he found that it was the mix of things in the portfolio that is most important and the specific things that are in the portfolio are less important as long as the mix is right and by mix i mean number of large companies number of small companies number of international number of growing undervalued that kind of thing so go ahead
0: yeah i've got so i've got i've got so many questions As you're going through this and I want to hear more and more about it. Uh, I've got questions, everything from who the greatest jazz musician is all the way up to um, what you were just talking about between mix and, and allocation and, and all of these things. And I feel like, I, first of all the first comment is that for from a freelancing perspective I think this is the future of the economy and it's what everybody is dealing with right now in covid and so that's why I think this really resonates with the people who are listening because for those people who are bumped out of their jobs putting together something right now that's not as routine of an income these are the type of people who absolutely need what what you're talking about and I feel like understanding that is a is a big step and understanding that when finance is so intimidating I mean, when you talk about asset allocation and focusing on long-term investing and you're talking about modern portfolio theory, I imagine a lot of people just, you know, they don't have a head for math. And I, I, in my experience, I found that a lot of people have just, you know, almost turned it off and they ignore it. and Hopefully it kind of goes away, but it's not going to go away. Right, right,
1: right.
0: How, uh, do, you, how do you adjust for, or how do you talk to someone who's not necessarily in the know about modern portfolio theory and things about these things, to explain to them
1: it's really not that difficult? Um, it's a tricky question. Uh, first of all, I would say that the majority of the clients in our firm are in this category. The majority of them really don't understand. Um, they are The majority of them are freelancers. They know they need this advice and, most of them have, in in my case, these were trusted colleagues who I worked next to in uh, either recording or live performance situations. So they had some kind of a trust in me, and when I started to explain what it was I was doing, I'm not sure they understood the, the mechanics of it at the level that I understand it, but they were confident that I was onto something. So uh, to Uh, interesting, all this week I've been having Zoom conferences with um, uh, 20-somethings in uh, the Bay Area, and these are tech workers. And as as well-educated as a lot of these guys are, they are also fairly in the dark about how this works. And I'm finding that I can go into somewhat of a detail of depth of this, and it almost makes the process more difficult for them because you turn over one page and you realize there's five more chapters that you've got to read. Right. So it's a, it's a delicate balance. Um, the short version of it is that, uh, is what I present to people, is that what I took from my years of research is to statistically analyze what if we had applied this, this modern portfolio theory, this specific asset allocation, which the asset allocation means How many of which things that you have inside your portfolio? What's what's the mixture? What if you applied that? And I created a chart. I went back to 1928, and I said, okay, if we held these positions, these funds, or the equivalent of a fund, in every year, starting in 1928, all the way up to 2018 was the last year we did, what would the result have been each year? What would the gain or the loss? And I put together a chart of this, you know, it's it's almost 100 years of data, and the and i didn't know what the result was going to be so i first we collected the data and i put it together and i grouped things in 20 year segments and then in each 20 year segment i did an average annual return over the course of those 20 years if you had done this and the average annual return in each of those 20 year time periods in 1928 through 48 it's 11% in 49 through 69 it's 16% etc there were some um really good average annual return i'm not talking about the total return every year even including years where you had the stock market crash in 1929 in the years where you had the stock market meltdown in 2008 in the 2000 when you had that stock market the um dot-com bubble happen. the the eye open that happened for me is even when these catastrophic events happen as long as you keep this mixture the same over a 20-year time period you're going to be in really good shape. It's Not irrelevant.
0: Like, right. The, the you know, swings of the market are irrelevant based on the, the overall thing.
1: Irrelevant. So when I go out and speak, one of the things I say, and I get laugh every time, like I said, And one thing you should never, ever, ever do is watch finance guys on TV. And of course, <laughs> they laugh. And I'm being somewhat facetious. But I say the reason is they're speaking and they're correct, but they're talking about the short term. They're talking about what's going to happen this week, this month, even this year. They're right. But what you have to do is tune that out if you've got a long-term objective. If you're talking, if you're 25 or you're talking 30 years from now, completely irrelevant what happens this year. Even if, I mean, what we had happen 12 weeks ago, even if the whole bottom falls up, it doesn't matter. And this was, for me, this was my eureka moment that there is a way to do this such that I can guarantee that my wife and I are going to be financially secure when we get to that point. This was, this was huge to me. I was like, I wanted to run up and down the pavement, going, Holy cow, there is a way. So I became a bit of an evangelist for this. And, um, I, um, I wanted to pass this on to my kids as they were getting ready to enter the workforce, one of their last years of college. And I wrote a little book, here's how it works. And then when I went back to edit the book, I realized I'm never going to read a book that I write. <laughs> I never gave them a you know, there's a lot of hubris there. So I decided to create an investing app for the iPhone that would encode this knowledge, would force them to commit a monthly amount to be able to send to the brokerage, creates a brokerage account, um, has some model portfolios in there that have this asset allocation that's appropriate for a 20 or 30 year time period. And after I did that, again, I, not being in the business, I just assumed I could call up my local retail broker at Schwab or something. I said, well, can you hold these assets? You know, And I call the guy up and he goes, well, you're going to have to get licensed. And I didn't even know what license was. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's the, you know, in the forest, you know, it's, it's, it's the way a creative guy works. And I'm, I'm not necessarily recommending it, but it's the way I work.
0: But sometimes or, it's, you need that creative mind to think outside of, look, there's how many people have been working for so long, just pumping maybe a little bit of money into their 401k. They don't even know what it's invested in. Yeah. And sometimes you need someone to come around and just scratch the record because it's just going around and say, hold on a second. Maybe, maybe we could do this a little bit differently.
1: Yeah. Well, I definitely scratched the record. So, <laughs> I, I, so I realized I was going to have to get licensed. So I took a year off and studied for the, uh, the Series 65 Investment advisor Law exam. I took it, passed it, and then I created a company, um, uh, a registered investment advisor. It's called Plectrum Advisors, and um, began approaching um, colleagues that um, uh, I knew needed help in this area. And we began to onboard clients in that way. And that's, that's kind of the, the genesis of the firm. We're almost four years old now, but that's, that's kind of where it came from.
0: Now, when we talk about modern portfolio theory and watching the swings of the market and how it's irrelevant, that sounds simple, but it's not that simple. Uh, I mean, what you're talking about, you've got, and we'll get into, you know, dollar cost averaging, and there are a few requirements of what people need to do throughout these 20 years to obtain these returns. Talk a little bit about what's expected of, of people to get there.
1: The very first thing they have to do is be committed to peeling off some of the money they're making and send it to me or an advisor, some other advisor, and regularly, monthly, send this money over and have the advisor invest it on a regular basis. You use the term dollar cost averaging. That's kind of a fancy term that says just on a regular basis, you're going to continue to buy the same things. And when the market's high, you'll buy fewer shares because the price is high. And when the market's low, you'll be able to buy more shares of whatever funds that you're talking about. And that over time, you're going to end up with a really good average price per share because you're not waiting until the market dives and buy on the dip and then you miss that and now you got a pile of cash and now what do I do? Um, so that's kind of what dollar cost averaging is. And one of the one of the real benefits of dollar cost averaging is it takes both the ego and the emotion out of investing. There's no emotion. I you know I set my alerts and I get alerts on I you know I send them for once a month for you know each client accounts and it says on the 5th of June Buy $10,000 of this, and uh, I just get the alert that was set six months ago, and I go in and do it. I don't look at whether the market's in a free fall or whether it's at the peak. I, because if I look at that, the very first thing that enters my mind is, oh, maybe this is not the right time. Maybe, oh, look at the news that's come. Oh, COVID's going. boom, well, maybe. And you get either paralyzed or you make a stupid move. And none of us. Are impervious to that kind of influence. So the, the dollar cost averaging advantages takes it out of there.
0: Is timing the market the biggest mistake people make?
1: Oh, it's certainly one of them. Yeah, um, you know it's it's difficult. I'm 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 tempted. I mean, as much I mean, I've been doing this for thirty years. I'm still tempted <laughs> because it's you know like it's a gambling. Com- it's a it's a gamble, right? You want it? It's like walking through Vegas. It is a gamble, and it also Works on your ego, you know. If you're a smart person and you study and you're savvy and you're informed, you think it's kind of counterintuitive. You think, well, you know, if I use my brain here, I'm going to be able to um, do something better than just blindly every month. You know, my dad sent me an article. this was 15 years ago we are working on it. And it, was, it was a a record of the of uh, 2,628 mutual fund advisors. And it examined them and it said, of the ones that were in the top 4% of which one, how many of those were in the top 4% two years from the year that they were in the top 4%? And the answer was two out of almost 3,000. So you say, these are the smartest guys in the world here. These are the guys that have dedicated their lives to this. And if only two of them can remain the top guys, maybe this thing works a little bit different than intuition tells
0: you. And picking all of those, all of those things. So let's get, let's get practical for, for freelancers because consistency, you're talking about consistency of investing Mm -hmm. uh, on a monthly basis, maybe, or, or every other week or whatever it is. It's a little difficult to do when you're a freelancer because you may not be getting that consistent income. How do you balance that? And what's your advice to people who are pulling in maybe, uh, a big chunk of change, maybe twice a year or whatever it is.
1: Well, here's our advice to freelancers. We don't call it weekly, monthly, or annually. We say every check you get. Because a freelancer frequently, you can go three months with no money, no income, and then get a royalty check for you know, $3,900 or $39,000 or something. Or they get you know a $2,000 check and a $5,000 check and then a $50 check. So what I say to them is every check that comes in, Take the gross amount and take a minimum of 10%. 10% is good because you can kind of do the math in your head. You know, you don't need a calculator. So it's a $5,000 check. $500 immediately gets sent to your investment account. And you know, you've set up an advisor that's set up the brokerage account and figured out what's the best kind of account. I mean, you gotta have that conversation at a time, but that's kind of technical. But most important is every time you get a check, 10% goes, this is before you say can i pay my rent can i make my car payment do i owe the mafia whatever it is that you got you don't think about those things you just take it right off the top and it's gone and i say to them think of it this way let's say the check is 5000 think that you got paid 4500 instead of 5000 your pay was 4500 you know if it if in fact it was 4500 you'd figure out a way to Make your bill. Is there
0: so? The, I mean, that's a psychology change too, right? I mean, when you're talking about putting your money away before you pay your rent, I mean, we've got hierarchy of needs in terms of food and shelter, and you're saying save for uh, invest the money before you even tap into those needs. That's a big psychological change. It people. is.
1: It is. I have one one woman I helped. I think she's 34, and uh, she was making a lot of money, um, and. Uh, I I wanted to help her get started. She was working with me on uh, another non-finance project. And there's kind of a a side effect. I said, you know, let me help you get started with this. And created an account. And, and, you know, she's barely making ends meet. And, you know, she said, I'm not, I don't know if I can do this. I said, well, try it. Let's take four months. So she sends me an email four months later and she said, It's finally become the new normal. So now I don't feel any differently about my ability to live how I want to live than I did before I was doing this. It's just another bill I got to pay. You know, it's as if my rent was $400 more than it really is and somehow you figure it out. And you know, this is also human nature. If, if you're given five hours to do something, it's going to take you five hours. If the boss comes in and says, you got to get it done in two hours. So you figure out, you do it in two hours, you know, might not be yep. as good as five hours but you get it done. You figure and the it same out. kind of applies here. And this is what I say to people. We're talking about 10%. This is not a huge chunk. It's a bit, and it's probably going to be enough to make you a pile.
0: Now, when we talk about changing that psychology of, you know, we never think we have enough. And we're real. I mean, we figure it out. Uh, but in essence, we have to tell ourselves no sometimes. Right. And that's, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. The psychology shift I imagine would then change because there's a big movement, um, on financial independence. Like you hear the financial independence, people figure out how much money you need so that you no longer have to work. You can work for fun and do whatever it is that you want to do. This is the way to get, I mean, you read about, Richest Man in Babylon was the 10% thing. The millionaire next door are these people who did saving, little bits of saving over time. This is actually how you do it. Financial independence is going to change that psychology too. Like we, we get some benefit of after 10 years of doing this, putting away 10% of all of your income, all of a sudden this isn't just a 401k that you can't touch until you're 65. This is something that, that you actually have tangible uh, work that you can do with.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the power of compounding and if this is invested properly and in a risk appropriate way, it it shocked me. And, I, you know, I I'm I'm one of the ones who you know, kind of knew what I was doing. But after about 12 years of doing this and looking at that pile, there was a time I looked at the guy and said to myself, how the hell did that happen? Because it, it, I wasn't putting enormous sums into it. We weren't making enormous. We you're making a good living. Professional living. But you know, we weren't millionaires. But after I think the number was 12 years, of 12 years of doing it, this pile started to become substantial. And then the 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 facts of compounding, once the pile is substantial, a little bit of an updraft from a good year in the stock market. If we got a nineteen percent raise in the value of these indexes, holy smokes, now the investments are making more than you're making working. And, and then when that light bulb goes off, you go, Oh, this is how you do it.
0: Now, how do you get someone to that light bulb? Because the idea of what money is going to do for you 20 years down the road versus I really want this thing today. And it's only like an extra 500 bucks. So what's 500 bucks really going to do later down the road? How do you get people to make that shift versus, you know, we obey pain. We don't really obey wisdom. Right, We know it's the right decision to put that into the investment account. We know it's the right thing to to save, um, but we just don't do it. How do you get someone to just get started to just say, you know what, I got to tell myself no and start putting this stuff into the investment account?
1: Well, I, I'm not sure I'm successful all the time doing that, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, there was a, uh, when I first started this thing, I was like an evangelist. I mean, with the, you know, with the, the financial Bible, like, like, Uh, Not yelling at people, but I was really, um, I I felt I'd found the way and wanted to share it with people. Um, There are some people that are receptive to this, and there are some people that resist this. And for the ones that resist it, I've kind of uh, taken the position that I have this knowledge if you're interested. And if you're not interested, here's my card and call me when you are. Right. Um, I, I, used to, I used to travel around a couple of years ago and did a, a big circuit around the country going to uh, music schools um, and talking to kids. So, so these are kids that are uh, 21, 22 years old and getting ready to, so we talked to either the seniors or the graduate students. And I was in the convincing mode then of saying you have to do this I mean you're entering a tough field to start with. So you have to, now you have to do this. And we had some success, but there were a fair number of them that had the position that you articulated, which is, well, I'm not sure. You know, I want to give this up, and I'm not sure I'm that guy anymore that wants to convince those people. What I I offer is if people are open to, I think this is what I want to do, but I don't know the way, I can offer you the way. Uh, and that's just kind of by default where we've, where we've ended up.
0: And it's all you could do. You can have the greatest peach tree in Georgia, but some people just yeah. aren't going to eat a peach. You know, that's, exactly. that's yeah, the way exactly. it's going to go. Um, exactly. But then, okay, so let's talk. So you went to a music school to teach this. I want to know about the fact this jazz orientation that you have and this math orientation,
1: sure.
0: how do they even align? because I don't typically hear, like you hear about left brain, right brain, you hear about all that. Is, are do musicians have math brains? Is that something that, that is typical or, or are you? Some just, do,
1: some many do. Some. do. I say about half. Okay. Uh, and it expresses itself in different ways, um, especially in the jazz community. Um, the architecture, the language of jazz, is an extremely complex algorithm driven um, set of um, uh, specifics and uh, I was very fortunate when I was younger and uh, my dad gave me a guitar when I was 11 I think for Christmas and he said you know if you practice if you get through the first book you give me a book I'll get you guitar lessons and then he hooked me up with a really good guitar teacher. And I remember the best thing that happened to me was, I walked in and the guitar teacher said to me, "Um, I don't care what you like. I don't care what music you think is good. In here, we're gonna study the real thing. And you know, I'm 11, I don't like that. I wanna play this on the radio, I wanna play the Rolling Stones, I wanna play The Beatles. He said, it's fine, you can play that stuff but that's not what we're doing here. And so what he gave me day one was the architecture of improvisation and of jazz and how it's structured. And it's complex. I mean, it's an enormous amount of information to be able to sort in your brain. It's like a very, it's, it's maybe similar to studying Mandarin. Wow. So it's, there's an enormous number of variables that are all interacting. And it's a lot to digest. And I think the part of my brain that was math-oriented was attracted to, you mean this thing works over here because of this, and this goes to here, here. And in my brain, I could start to see the lattice of why this sounds good. This sounds good because it's the relative of this, and it's really this chord. And if you put this bass note, it's a different chord because, and so there's there's definitely math to the lattice to the structure of this Mm -hmm. now the expression of this is on the other side of the brain the expression of this is how you use these tools in a beautiful way or in a way that creates a a phrase that breathes and that if something is emphasized or if this note is a little quieter than this one it's going to make something feel a little bit different Um, those things are not math oriented but the underlying lattice is extremely math-based and this was evident to me early on and I think it was very instrumental in my development as a systemic thinker in terms of there is a system here and if you can understand the system, you can do a lot of things if you understand the system. And, it, and this was a little kid, 11, 12 years old, you know, that, that it, it kind of was laid out to me because of this teacher, you know. he was. He, thank god you know most times you know music lessons or guitar lessons i don't know if you know you go in the first thing the teacher says is what do you want to learn you know and i always thought that was just the most ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> my
0: music lessons didn't really go beyond one one yeah. lesson and that was the end of it and, you know smash guitar and, and that was it yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> who is um, who's the greatest jazz musician that ever lived
1: Well, Wes Montgomery was is probably uh, the uh, one of the best improvisers that there ever was. This was a natural guy didn't start playing guitar till he was in his early 20s. And he died when he was 44. Um, And he just had some kind of a natural gift of how to put these things together. Um, I was fortunate to see him play a couple of times when I was a little kid, my dad took me to see him. Um, And his just just oozed naturalness. I, I remember going to see him, I think I was nine years old or 10 years old or something when I went to see him. And one of the things I, I noticed about him, I mean, I didn't understand jazz at that time, but I noticed he never looked at the guitar. You know, he was just always out in the and he's flying all over this thing. and going, how's that possible? That's just one technical aspect, but he was, and I think there's, you, you wouldn't get much argument from guitar players today that, that he was the guy. And there hasn't been anybody that's really equaled that. There were a lot of great guitar players, but and he had a big influence on me um, uh, in the early days. I
0: would have said Tom Rizzo to be perfectly honest, but you know. <laughs> no, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Very much. Oh, I love it. I'm going to go listen to jazz now after this uh, after this call. Um, what is the first thing? that the listener should do after listening to all of this, besides call you? What is the first step that they need if they were to take one thing away from all of this?
1: Well, I I would hope that um, they would seek out a trusted advisor. And by trusted, I mean somebody who knows their business, somebody who knows how they make money, Somebody who knows how likely it is that they're going to lose their job or keep their job or get promoted or not get promoted. Um, Somebody that they have trust that this guy is working in your best interest. It's not to cast any aspersions, but not all businesses are set up that way with the client first. We set up our firm in this way. Primarily because this is how it worked for me. I, mean, I, when I set up the business, I didn't wasn't setting up the business. I was trying to help my wife and I achieve financial independence. So everything we did was to help ourselves. And we do we do the firm in the same way. So um, you know I have confidence that anybody that will reach out to me that we would take that approach. Um, but if not me, then know that you need an advisor. You know, you need someone with expertise that's going to guide you in a proper way that's you know when we talk to clients you know we have regular interface with clients to say how's it going what's changed are your goals the same can you squeeze another hundred dollars a month to the what we're adding can you put another 500 you know to not to goad them but to encourage you know we're, we're here to grow this thing for them to help them grow not just say well whatever you want to do is, is fine with us um so The one takeaway would be to say, I need to find somebody, and it's got to be somebody you trust, and somebody you feel good with, and somebody that the values are aligned, and then work with them. Um, You know, not unlike when you have to pay your taxes, you want to find a CPA knows his stuff. And knows you and knows how your business works and knows what's gonna be best for you. I mean, you can do your own taxes, you're, you can get TurboTax or you know, you can do that, but you're way better served by having a trusted guy who's got your best interest at heart. So that's what I would hope that they would take from this that, first of all, this is not optional. The world has changed, you know. It used to be you could go work for a company, you know, IBM or GM or something. and That'd be your career for 30 years, and then it'd be a defined benefit pension at the end. And as long as you kept your expenses in line, you were going to be fine. Those days are gone. There's no more pensions. And it's up to you to create your own pension and to create your own security. And it's doable if you do it.
0: And the sooner the better. Of course.
1: the better that. yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, how can
0: people find you? Give me, uh, we'll plug everything on, on bellwetherhub.com, of course, and we'll have links to, to Tom's info and, and all of that. But how could people find you?
1: Well, um, the easiest way is probably the website. It's called plectrumadvisors.com. I assume you can probably put that up on the screen so they can, they can have it. Uh, there's a um, Let's Meet page uh, where you can put your contact info in if you'd like us to contact you. And we're, you know, we're really, a, we're a low pressure firm, you know, we're not these are not sales calls that we're going to try to make you do anything. We're really here to offer our services and to find out if we're a good fit for you and then to be able to work for them. But that's probably the easiest way. I mean, you could put phone numbers and email addresses up on the screen, too, if you'd like, but probably the easiest way is, is the website. It's, it's the, it's the least pressure and you can tool around. We have videos that I've made on the website talking about some of the things we've talked about today so they could see at their own pace um, some of these concepts that we've talked about. Um, but that, that's probably the best way to get a hold of us.
0: Perfect. PlectrumAdvisors.com. I'll put it on bellwetherhub.com as well. We'll put a link directly to that. Um, I always ask for a book recommendation at the end of every interview. Do you have a book that you could recommend to
1: everybody? I do. But let me tell a little story first. Okay. So do it. I had a favorite uncle. His name was Gasper. We're Sicilian. And it's a good
0: name, by the way, Gasper. You don't hear that name very often. I like it. I,
1: I just loved it. He didn't like it, the name <laughs> itself. But we, we love it. He's a very dear guy. He passed away about five years ago. Um, and uh, I was talking to his wife, my aunt, uh, this past year. And uh, she said, we were having a conversation about Gasper and she said, you know, Gasper always thought that you were his favorite of the nieces and nephews. And there was a lot of us. There was 22 of us, you know. Um, and then she paused and she said, well, to be fair, whoever he was with, he would say that was his favorite. <laughs> and so that, I, I just love that about him. So that informs a little bit about what I'm going to say about my book. I have favorite books, but as soon as I pick up the next book, that one turns into my favorite book. And so, um, the book I happen to be reading at the moment is uh, the Michael Lewis book um, called Panic, and it's it's a collection of media uh, newspaper and magazine articles that were written in the days after the uh, Black Monday crash of uh, 1987, and it's uh, it's fascinating, you know, with this many years between that catastrophe and. In the way that I think about things now, that you know, there's always recovery, always, always, always recovery. And the fact that people in the days and weeks after that didn't think that there was going to be recovery, and we're making, and these are smart people um, saying it's changed and we're not going to, you know, you got to rethink how you do things. But uh, I happen to have it, have it right here. So it's called uh, Panic by Michael Lewis. And, um, so right now this is my favorite book, but it'll move to second position. Uh, into Whatever engine. the
0: next one is. That's perfect. But you can't really go wrong with a Michael Lewis book, right? I'm looking at, uh, right. He's got what Liars Poker and uh, you know, like he's got so many. So he's always uh, and the, the big short is the big, the big one, right? short is the big one. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So those are always good. Uh, Tom, this is great. I know people are going to get a lot of uh, valuable, really literally valuable information, which is nice. Um, because it's, and if I could recount what I'm taking away as some of the most important things is a reminder that uh, your financial situation is a responsibility of yours. Yes. Um, and it's not mm-hmm. something to delay if you wait too long, you know, even a minimum right now is just at least get started. And that's just step, step number one, like this week after you listen, is at least pick up the phone or call someone or open that account or do whatever and just take at least that step. Uh, because wasting time um, isn't going to be your friend and then consistency is key and you can average it out over time. And, and it's extremely simple. It's uh, It's extremely it is. simple, but we just have to be accountable. And that's, and that's, you know, really where the value of someone like Tom comes in. So that's uh, that's fantastic. That's good.
1: Right, Jim. I'll leave you, I'll leave you with just one, one little proverb. And, and these are for people who feel that they've missed the boat and they didn't do it when they should have. And there's a Chinese proverb that says, The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago and the second best time is now.
0: That's perfect. I love using, I didn't even know it was an old Chinese proverb. I just, (laughs) I don't know where I've heard that before, but that's always a perfect, perfect advice. Very apropos for today. So Tom, thank you so much. This has been so valuable, everybody. uh, More information on bellweatherhub.com. I'll put all the info for Tom, the full interview, the video, Uh, The transcript, all that information is going to be right there. And we will direct you uh, straight to Plectrum Advisors so you can hit up Tom for all of your financial advising needs. And that would be great. Tom, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Jim. It was a pleasure.
0: And thank you, everybody, for listening. More on bellwetherhub.com. And I will be looking forward to seeing everybody soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon.